What is living in lockdown like? As the world tries to make sense of the coronavirus and South Africa's knee-deep in a government-initiated lockdown, we'll be hearing from different voices what they're up to and how they're handling living in the lockdown. KF Malindi has been one of our trusted sources of information on the latest updates on uh, Zimbabwe, and we're chatting to him today from Zimbabwe. In this conversation, he'll unpack how the lockdown and travel restrictions have impacted him and those close to him. For many people in South Africa, we're more worried about ourselves at the moment. But of course, if this disease continues to plague us, it will also affect our neighbors and probably already is in ways that we don't know. So it'd be good to catch up with our friend. KF, how are you? I'm doing great, Gareth. Uh, trying to keep sane. Started working out. <laughs> yeah, good man. You got You got to do stuff to keep sane. So, what what are you doing? Is you is there a regular wake up time? Do you do you do training at home? Have you got some makeshift weights? What have you been doing? <laughs> well, fortunately, my line of uh, business, our industry in communications and marketing, uh, we're very much able to work from home. Yeah. More so now than ever, because a lot of our clients are requesting a digital presence um, in terms of continuity of work. Mm-hmm. So I still have the eight to five. Uh, in fact, there's a gray area around working times now because the question, when do you stop and when don't you don't you stop since you're working from home? Um, but yes, uh, I downloaded an app. So I use one of those workout apps. Um, wake up the same time, um, you know, do a little workout shower, um, get into some comfortable clothes, um, try to get out of bed so that I can work from um, a proper workstation and just try and focus, keep some sort of routine to it. Yeah, you have to. Otherwise, you will descend and you'll let yourself go. And before you know it, you'll be wearing track suits for three days in a row and eating in your bed. Exactly. God knows what happens <laughs> then. So, so KF, I, yeah. I must admit, and I think I'm not the only one, I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to how Zimbabwe is dealing with this. Um, we, mm-hmm. we, we seem to have had a disconnect since the lockdown and people are less interested in what's happening just north of our border. But obviously it impacts everyone because this disease is a global one. And, and we know Definitely. Zimbabwe is hardly in a position to look after its people from a, a healthcare point of view. Um, are, are, there, are there updates you can give us just to give a better idea of how things are actually going down there at the moment? So our first case was recorded about two months ago, Gareth. Yeah. Um, and things ex- escalated quite quickly from there because um, when the case, uh, the, the period between the case being confirmed as our first COVID-19 uh, confirmed case to the period of death was a matter of days. From It's been about two months since that first confirmed case and death. Mm-hmm. And since then... We've had, up until now, we've had 17 confirmed cases and now three confirmed deaths from COVID-19. So, KF, what's the response been from government? Is there a lockdown protocol in Zimbabwe? Are people worried? Um, Are healthcare workers on standby? Are any measures being taken that would be familiar to people in South Africa? So, I'm going to try and be as objective as possible, Gareth. Um... One thing that's for certain is that Zimbabwe, out of most countries, was definitely not prepared um, for a pandemic of this nature. Uh, Our um, healthcare facilities have been in shambles for the past decade. Um, Even before COVID-19, we've had doctors striking. 
We've had human rights violations, um, um, allegations mm-hmm. uh, against doctors who were striking um, in the months previous uh, to COVID-19. So regardless of the pandemic itself, our healthcare system has not had adequate capacity to deal with anything of this nature. Right. Um, that being said, um, I think we locked down the nation two or three days after South Africa. Hmm. At that point in time, we had two or three confirmed cases. So, yeah, I might get backlash for this because Zimbabweans are not, you know, very, um, you know, they don't like giving uh, the government um, its uh, due uh, acknowledgement where it's deserved. But I do believe that the one good thing that they did do was locked down as quickly as possible. Yeah, I'm sure there are lots of people who would agree with that. And and obviously the, the government of Zimbabwe is no different to other governments. They, they are probably uh, starting to see that there are benefits to exploiting a crisis, even for political ends, uh, although we can only assume that they have the best intentions in respect to people's true. health. True, true. Yes, I mean, to expand on that point, obviously – the first thing that comes to mind is donor funding. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and the UN starts throwing around $757 million into this. The IMF has just granted 25 countries um, funding for COVID-19, even though Zimbabwe was rejected for that. But uh, you do find that um, that assistance will, will then begin to pour in and... Um, there is a likelihood that they might be opportunists in that regard. And most people are following the protocols and staying indoors and staying at home and going to the shops only for food. That kind of thing is, is being mostly followed to the letter, right? Okay, it's a difficult one, Gareth, because you see with Zimbabwe, we are similar to South Africa, um, essential workers are, have been allowed to continue traveling. So your supermarkets, your healthcare workers, uh, certain government um, government workers. Now the question is: Does the government itself have the capacity to monitor the entire nation in regards to this? Yeah. So you get footage um, of you know police patrolling here and there, but to say that nationwide this is being carried out to the T, um, I would say no. I, to put it in figures, I'd say sixty forty. 60% are pretty much observing. So things like bars have been closed, obviously. Restaurants have been closed. They're only delivering. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but then it's, it's, it's harder to make sure that um, everything is abided by in areas like the high densities. Right. And obviously, KF, I mean, money. Zimbabweans have been dealing with some adversity for a very long time. So they're quite resilient. And I suppose for, for many people in Zimbabwe, things like stocking up on certain foods, you guys almost have an advantage in your experience over the past few years over the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, true, Gareth. Um, we, we don't even call it stocking up. You, you can be blunt. We call it hoarding. <laughs> <laughs> the minute is great. So you'll find that in most of our stores, Gareth, when you walk into a store, and this is not just with basic commodities. Yeah. So you'll find when you go to the cooking oil aisle, they'll say two bottles per person. Okay. 
when you go to uh, the bread aisle, the confectioners, they'll also say two loaves per person. But it, it be, it's become so intense that if you go to the liquor section, they'll say one bottle of wine per person because we're catering to a lot of people. Hmm. Uh, because there is that hoarding mentality from 2008 when the shelves were empty and people have not forgotten. There's still that fear that we might go back to then. However, the difference now is that a number of people are earning in the local currency, which is not really a currency. Yeah. But the U.S. dollar is still the stronger currency that everyone is trying to get. So people can't really hoard the way they would want to, or at least stock up the way they would want to, because they don't have the money to, Gareth. And KF... From the point of view of, of businesses, you said that yours, obviously, you're in the media marketing business. So for you, it's it's easy to work from home and online, or it's easier. Um, which are the, are the yes. industries taking the hardest knock during, during this crisis? Um, I'll definitely say, so Zimbabwe, don't forget, Gareth, Zimbabwe is 80 to about 90% the informal sector. Yeah. And, and how is so this affecting your little them? Story- well, they, they have to close down because they're not essential business. Right. Does that include people who, uh, are, who are trading on the street, that kind of thing? Well, there are certain formal markets that are still open. But our formal markets, uh, for example, we call it Mbarem Sika, uh, which I think is our biggest um, formal vegetable market within the capital city. But that can't house everyone. So you have, if you were to walk in the Arare CBD, I'm not too sure when the last time you were in Johannesburg CBD, but it is a very similar situation where you have little stalls opening up everywhere. And these are all people who need to, you know, basically make um, make ends meet. So that is very similar to our CBD in Arare, and That is the 90% majority of people in the country. <clears throat> How do you think this will play out in Zim? And what do you think for the rest of the world, the, the advantages of this very unhappy situation might be? I mean, how would you like it to go from here? Okay, for Zim, Gareth, one, I am glad that we locked down early. However, we've heard of planes starting to fly again. We've heard of people flying in and out and we're wondering to ourselves, okay, you started off on the right path. Why are people continuing to come in? Can we really lock down and not let this become a pandemic in Zimbabwe? Because if it does, we will not be able to handle it, Gareth. People will die. Uh, Very similar to New York, I'm guaranteed about it because our hospitals do not have the capacity. Neither does our government have the financial capacity. Mm. However, right now, we are still, I want to say, uh, one of the countries that has managed to control it. 17 cases in a matter of two months, of course, we're not testing as much as we should be. Um, but my um, layman's guess would be that it has been controlled to a, um, I'll give them a C, a C plus. Okay. Um, but, 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 what, but what would you, what would you like the, it to do? I mean, if anything good can come of this, would you like it to be that people work together better, that we have more of a global community? Would you like it to be that the Zimbabwean government are less isolated and that the people therefore are less isolated from the rest of the world? How would you like it to play out? Already seen an outpouring from the diaspora, from prominent business, uh, the business community. Uh, donations have been made. I think the biggest uh, 
industry that's benefited is actually the health sector because you find that a lot of attention has been given to the to the industry and um, donations are coming in regularly. I think a country that had about 10 or so ventilators, working ventilators now has close to 100, if not more. Mm. Um, and there is that unity. You know, you get messages on a daily basis of people who've opened up the equivalent of GoFundMe, <clears throat> GoFundMe um, uh, campaigns to raise money for certain communities. Uh, people are donating. Zimbabweans have always been a, um, relatively united people. We also saw it during Cyclone Idai, and I think we're going to see it now where we're going to pull together and really try and assist each other. However, Gareth, you know, speaking from a more economic uh, perspective, countries like South Africa, and I'm not um, um, a guru in terms of economics, so correct me where you can, and I'm sure people understand, though, but countries like South Africa where you have mortgages, where you have loans that have been given out, the, the, the impact of interest rates and so forth and so on, is going to affect South Africa, the West, Europe, and so forth and so on. The one advantage that Zimbabwe has is that we are a cash society. Yeah. That, um, That's a very interesting that observation. Crunch, yes, that crunch on the global economy is not going to hit us. We don't have mortgages. We don't have interest rates. We don't buy cell phones on credit. We buy in cash. So when everyone is worrying about paying double interest rates, we're just going to be like, hey, we're back to business. And somehow I hope that the powers that be find a way for our country to benefit in that regard. Well, KF, all I can say is is the best of luck. We obviously send warm regards from everybody here in South Africa who knows you. And thanks again for the updates. It's good to hear that somebody is paying attention uh, and, and is able to translate that useful information to us. I wish you the best of luck and I wish the people of Zim the best of luck. Thank you so much, Gareth. And Africa, thanks you for keeping us connected. Cliff Central doing a great job. Shout out to everyone who knows me there. Miss you guys so much, and thank you for the interview, Gareth. Thank you so much. KF Malindi, the uh, host of a show on Cliff Central not so long ago called No Borders. He continues to uh, put out all kinds of interesting content, and you can follow him on social media, among other things. Thank you, KF.